Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, January 20th. Think time and space when you speak. Give others the time they need to absorb your ideas and the space to enlarge on their own. We have had a group meeting in our community here for many years, a, just, a, a Tuesday morning discussion. It's not actually a meeting. We try not to have it be a meeting. It's just a time when the sort of core leadership can just talk with no recorders, no cameras, and no agenda and no decision-making. We're not really trying to make decisions, we're just talking about what we're doing, philosophical ideas, fun things that happen, just very, very open-ended. And, I was, and I, I was very impressed when one of the gals sort of spoke up at one point, and she just said this simple thing, because she'd had a lot of corporate experience. She said, in group settings, whoever thinks the fastest gets to do all the talking. And there were about, in the room of 20 people, there were about five who were very fast thinkers. And so, as she pointed out, she said, because she, she's not a fast thinker, she was a clear thinker and a very creative thinker, but she wasn't speedy. That just wasn't her way. And she said, what, whenever she would get an idea organized before she could say it, someone else who was faster had always taken the floor. And then the next person who was faster had always taken the floor. And so then the same people are the ones who always get to talk, or, or who's, who's only ones whose ideas are heard, then the idea, you know, then the flow of the conversation will move forward, and the person who was catching up back here will just be left behind. And she pleaded with us, which um, sometimes it's heated and sometimes it hasn't been. She said exactly this, just leave a little silence so those of us who take more than you know, an instantaneous second to get our thoughts organized, we'll have a chance to put them in. And I, Swamiji was, um, when he would give a lecture, when he was completely in charge of what he was doing, you know, his mind, <clears throat> his mind and his articulation could work very, very quickly. He didn't really need a lot of time to get his ideas in order because they would come fast. You would see it when he would lecture. But whenever he was in a group discussion, and especially when he was conducting a meeting, he would almost always, I dare say always, if I could remember it exactly, he would go very slowly. He would present his ideas thoughtfully as if he was just working them out almost in the moment, although I knew he knew what they were. And, and so that you always, and he would always be very thorough. He wouldn't sort of impatiently skip over important points as if it would be too boring to say them. In other words, he would match his presentation to the most methodical person in the room and the time and space that that most methodical person would need to absorb it. You know, because there were others who could, might be able to sort of move faster with Swamiji, but he also distrusted those of us who moved fast, too, that we weren't giving the issue sufficient attention. And it was always interesting for me because sometimes I would actually become just a little bit impatient and then I would think to myself, you know, what is my hurry? What do I think is required here? You know, why is it that I can't, you know, devote a few extra minutes of my entire incarnation 
you know, to just letting ideas have time to gestate, be expressed. So his, his two words, time and space, his time and silence is what we're talking about. If, and, and what this all comes down to, it's, well, it's leadership at its, its fundamental and most important best, whether that leadership is just between you and your spouse or you and your children, or whether you're leading a, a whole corporation or a whole community as Swamiji was, and the, the, your, your medium is other people's energy. And that's, that's something that's so important to realize if you're a leader. If you're a creative artist writing your own book, if you're a painter, if you're a singer accompanying yourself with your own instrument, you know, there are, uh, there, if you're a long-distance runner, there are certain things that you can do where you are the element. You are the one who is expressing it. And how you express it is really entirely up to you. I remember what satisfaction it was when I was, when I have, uh, I've written four books at this point, published all by Ananda. Um, what a satisfaction it has been for me to write a book because I can just say exactly what I want to say. And I can say it in my own speed, in my own way. Now, Swamiji has trained me in the purpose. I'm not writing a, a journal and I'm not writing a diary. I'm writing, I have written books that I want other people to read. So I'm communicating. I'm not just pleasing myself. I'm communicating, but I'm communicating what I feel needs to be said, and I have all the time in the world to work it out. I don't have to, I don't have to work it out collectively. Um, but if you're a leader, then the medium of your success is other people's energy. It's really something very interesting to think about. The leader may set the tone. There's the expression which is valid. Any organization is the lengthened shadow of one person, the person who's in charge. When Ananda was in, in Italy, when Ananda in Italy was subjected to this, this I had the only word for it, is a mentally unbalanced person filed a lawsuit against us. Um, charging everything that you could imagine that you could accuse a small spiritual group of doing. And this man had made a career of suing people, including members of his own family. So in the end, in the end there was a there was a category of, of acquittal in Italian law that doesn't exist in American law. And it's more than innocent, is that there was never any basis for this suit in the first place. It was a completely frivolous suit. However, it took us seven years to get to that point. Five, I think it was seven. It was at least five to get to that point where we were totally acquitted. And actually, just FYI, it, it turned out to be a very important case because Italy, in principle, had freedom of religion, but um, it had freedom to practice valid religions. And the decision as to what was a valid religion was in the hands of the Catholic Church. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something that's really going to surprise you. There weren't any other valid religions. <laughs> so technically there was freedom of religion, but everybody but the Catholic Church was never, never qualified to be a valid religion. Um, just before our case came into the courts, Buddhism was finally declared to be a valid religion. So Buddhists were protected by the freedom of religion laws. 
But Ananda, at the time that the lawsuit was filed, we were considered a mere association. And associations are governed by like corporate laws. And in fact, we were actually um, prosecuted on the basis of the laws that were designed to break up the mafia, and I'm not exaggerating, which is powerful people taking advantage of weak-minded others and extorting them and things like that. So it was, it was a great adventure. It was a great adventure that we went through and took us a number of years. But in the end, what happened is the judge not only exonerated us in those terms that I'm telling you, that there was never any basis for this, but he also wrote the decision in such a way that not only Ananda, but, but many, many other small religious groups had were now considered to be valid religion. So it was a hugely important case that completely changed the landscape in Italy at that time. I can't speak for now, but it was important at the time. Now, what all of this was about was that um, we, were, we, were, we were being tried. I use the, the royal we here because I wasn't in Italy, but Ananda is we, as far as I'm concerned, wherever it is in the world. We were being tried under criminal statutes in America, when we faced litigation, they were civil, <clears throat> so it was just money. But in Italy, it was actually prison. And a few people actually were briefly put in prison, although released within a matter of a week. But they spent a week. And, you know, it was, these were criminal charges, but they were all swept away. But the point is, finally, it was hard for Swami to get to Italy. He was in India, and he was very unwell. But when he finally got there, and he went and sat in front of the judge, he said... I am the leader of this organization. He said, these charges are completely baseless, but if you find any guilt here, he said, the entire responsibility rests with me. He said, and none of these people should bear any consequences. He said, I am the leader. It is my responsibility, which of course is not what most people do. Most people try to shift the blame and throw somebody else under the bus and get away with as much money as they can because we don't live in very high times. But because Swami understands that, you know, I'm the leader, the medium that I'm using to create the work, which is the community, the spirit of Ananda, the Sangha, is other people's energy. And if I really want to use other people's energy, and I don't mean use, but I mean direct, um, help, e expand, give them the opportunity to s express, the leader is a servant. The leader is not the dictator. The leader is the servant of everybody else who's involved in this, and they want to use their energy, and they want the opportunity to express themselves in the best possible way. And so the leader's responsibility is to foster their talent and foster their capability and foster their self-expression because the more the leader is able to do that, the more beautiful colors he has to work with. When Swamiji was at the very beginning of starting Ananda and um, this woman who worked with him very closely, her name was Seva, she was in charge of the publications business. And he saw a certain point where she had some ideas about how to develop it. And he wasn't certain of her ideas. He thought his ideas might be more effective. But he essentially saw that if he didn't allow her to have the opportunity to try and uh, to try her ideas, see what happened, and learn from her experience, as Swamiji said, he would have to do everything himself for the rest of his life. So he needed, he gave her the time and the space, both to express herself, to try out her ideas, and to learn from them. And that kind of 
supportive leadership, which is the only really true kind of leadership, um, then you end up with a, a, a field full of blooming flowers. And sometimes it takes a little longer. But I certainly, being on the receiving end of Swamiji's time and space, and what time and space requires is patience. Just the patience to just let somebody think it through and listen to them while they talk and not listen to them just waiting for your turn, but actually genuinely listening to them. Swami talked about this one woman who, she was a little difficult. She would ask a lot of spiritual questions. But as Swami pointed out, she would ask a question and then while Swami was answering that question, she would use the interlude to formulate her next question. (laughs) So she never actually heard what he said because she was so busy moving ahead. And so this is how some people listen. They listen just waiting for you to finish so that they can get back to what they wanted to say or they interrupt you to take the conversation in another way. Swami, I remember him commenting because someone had this habit. You know, when Swami was saying something, they would say, yes, yes, I know that. And Swami said, how could you know? I haven't even finished my sentence. (laughs) How could you possibly know? And it was just like, yeah, how could I know? I may think that I know, but until I really hear you express yourself, and also maybe when I hear it from you, it's going to sound differently than it sounded when I first thought of it. Maybe the fact of your commitment to it changes the whole picture. But if we don't allow that time and space, we're always going to just be limited to what we already know. And I mean, we may be very clever, but we really, none of us can claim to be the repository of all knowledge. Also, when you're working with people, you need to know what they know. You need to know what their perspective is. Otherwise, people, and and people need to feel that they can give you their perspective. Because otherwise, you just get a bunch of yes men around you. And, and you never get to learn anything. And sometimes even such people will gradually be happy when you fail because you will have squelched their energy. They'll feel slightly resentful of it. Then they'll grudgingly carry out your orders and either sabotage it as, you, as they go along or never contribute something that might really save it because they want you to fail because you have treated them as if they're unimportant. So why should they care about you? It was just... There's so many reasons why cultivating other people and supporting them and helping them to feel like they have a valid contribution will in the end make everything flower and the opposite simply won't. So Swami says, think time and space when you speak. Give others the time they need to absorb your ideas and the space to enlarge on their own. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.